No, uh, this was an exciting week, and I just kind of wanted to give a report on a couple of different things. The beginning half of this week, I was down in Carlinville, Illinois, which doesn't sound at all exciting, except for that um, Carlinville, which is a tiny burg in, in southern Illinois, is the state headquarters for the Assemblies of God. That's the denomination with which this church is affiliated and through which I am licensed and, and ordained and so forth. Uh, we have our affiliation with them. We had our annual meetings. We call it our district council. This is actually something I look forward to very much every year uh, and, and, and something that we weren't able to do a year ago. So we were able to be there this week um, and kind of report on some things, encourage one another, hear some great sermons, and, and just reconnect with some of my colleagues in ministry. I have a picture that we took while we were down there. I keep saying we, because you will see in this picture uh, the members of the Black family. Garrett, Pastor Garrett, was down there with me because on Tuesday evening, Garrett was recognized um, and, and licensed as a credentialed minister, a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God. And so his parents came down. Black family came down to, to be a part of that ceremony and that celebration. He is now officially Reverend Garrett Black. Um, you can decide amongst yourself if you're actually going to revere him or not, but he is by title Reverend Garrett Black. Um, you'll see in the photo, the Black family's there. I'm there. Lovely photo of the dining hall as well, which I think is nice. The, the ceremony just prior to that was a bit more formal. Beth Bowman is there in the picture. Beth was with us throughout the, the course of the three meetings. Uh, Beth is a new appointee to the missions field. Uh, what we call that is a missionary associate. Is still, as you know, preparing for her mission to Togo in West Africa. We're hoping that Beth will be able to be there um, sometime in, in, in the coming months. Beth is in the process right now of raising support. You guys know this because many of you have agreed to support her financially through HRCC, and we are already making contributions to her budget. Uh, but Beth is still raising her budget, so she was able to go down and meet and network with different pastors, be a part of the, the sessions and the, and the ceremonies that were there. Beth had a great week. Uh, Beth um, connected with four new monthly supporters, so the budget went up that much. Um, she, uh, she um, networked with some different pastors. She got invitations to other church services. So just like we tend to have a missionary come share a few minutes about once a month or so, Beth got invitations to do that in other churches uh, at some of their services. So she's going to be here and there and about. And it was just kind of fun to see that happen as ministries are taking flight, are they not? Um, so that was great. Beth actually had a really, really busy and exciting week. And with her permission, uh, I'm going to share part of it um, because it's just kind of a cool story. So this is a little bit like Beth's testimony of what happened this week, but it's going to come from my mouth and she can rebut later on if she, if she uh, desires to do so. But um, you may recall that over the course of the past few weeks, we had noticed in the bulletin that our sister congregation in El Paso, Illinois, the congregation that we went and did a missions trip with about two years ago, they were hosting another community-wide outreach and they were just looking for some extra hands to help. And so that event took place last Saturday. Beth went down to El Paso to be a part of that outreach event. And so she worked a long day all Saturday in, in El Paso, Illinois. And because she had to report to Carlinville on Monday, 
she decided just to stay in El Paso for Sunday and attend church there rather than coming back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So on Sunday morning, Beth went to church uh, at, at our sister congregation, Harvest Fellowship. Many of you have been there because you were part of the mission team two years ago, uh, and she attended church. There were uh, half a dozen or so other Assemblies of God pastors and missionaries that just like Beth had been in town to help with the event, and just like Beth decided to stay rather than coming back and forth because they were kind of all headed to these meetings in Carlinville. And so the, the group of them decided after church on Sunday just to order some pizzas and, and have lunch together right there in the fellowship hall. In, in the church. And so as they were sitting together and, and some of these folks were folks that Beth knew, some of them she was meeting for the first time, they were kind of just sharing introductions and, you know, who are you? Like, what are you doing? Why are you here? And, you know, she was telling about her plans for the mission field and so on and so forth. Um, as they were having lunch, as they were kind of having their pizza together, the group decided that they wanted to pray for the event that had taken place the day prior. A lot of people had uh, heard the gospel, perhaps for the first time. A lot of people had been invited to the churches. Um, you know, Pastor Scott, our friend there at the church, was hopeful that he was just going to have a better, better means to connect with the community and follow up uh, after the event. And so they started praying just for the, the fruit of that ministry and what had taken place the day before. And so as Beth and others explained it, they just kind of started spontaneously having some prayer time over the pizza that they were sharing for lunch. Um, and that kind of evolved. Some of them said, well, let's pray for Beth. She's a new missionary. You know, she's just kind of starting on this journey. Let's pray for Beth. And they started praying for Beth and, and they gathered around her and were praying for her. And Beth started praying for herself. How many of you know how important it is to pray for yourself? And I appreciate this part of the story because Beth chose to pray out loud for herself. So often when we pray, I think we're, we have this mindset that sometimes we're just quiet and we pray in our minds, and that's okay, but I think it's, it's really a lot more biblical uh, and, and it's potentially much more powerful to just open your mouth and pray, even if you're alone, you know, just open your mouth and pray. And so Beth did that and began to pray, and she realized in short order that she was praying in a language that she had never learned before. So Beth began, this is what we call, you can, you can applaud that. Beth began, this is what we call, we refer to sometimes as speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. And it was an experience that Beth had never had before, but she had it that day, that day for the very first time. Uh, and, and she began to pray in other tongues. I wanted to share that story. I think it's something worth celebrating. And I also wanted to use it as an opportunity to just like, what, what? Like, let's talk about what we're talking about here. Uh, this is really a common occurrence. It's a, it's a very, very common occurrence. It's attested to in the Bible. This is not some sort of fringe lunacy as it sometimes is portrayed. It's attested to very clearly in the Bible. And it's something that many of us, many of us experience regularly. And here's what it means. After acknowledging Jesus as our Savior, and after we submit our lives to his authority, God does not leave us alone. God is not a God who says, okay, you're good now. I got some other stuff I got to do, and I'll just see you later. That's not how life in Christ works. God does not leave us alone. Once we acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that Jesus has, the Father has given us the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit's role among many of his roles to empower us, to empower us for the lives that we were meant to live. 
And one of the things that happens with that is what we sometimes refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit or with or of. It doesn't matter what word you use. Holy Spirit baptism is what we're talking about here. And very often, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is experienced by us as a powerful, dynamic, identifiable event. And the Bible describes it in many, many places as an event that is typically accompanied with this phenomenon where people pray or they speak in unknown languages. This is nothing to be afraid of. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, who writes in Scripture extensively about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he says, don't be afraid of it. Don't push back on it. Don't say it can't or it shouldn't happen. Be open to it. Be open to the Spirit. Welcome it. And he actually says, you know, frankly, I wish even more people would be open to experiencing this. That's what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament. So I wanted to share that story today because I'm excited for Beth. We're excited for Beth. Beth is going to continue to seek and cultivate uh, this new dynamic in her prayer life. We've already talked about this. This was not a one and done thing. Beth has continued to pray in tongues. Uh, in her times of of devotion and personal prayer. Uh, And that's exactly what someone should do. We're excited for Beth. The Holy Spirit is going to continue to indwell and empower her for ministry, just as he desires to indwell and empower you for what he has called you to do. And so I share that with this heart. If you are interested, I know sometimes when we bring things like that up, there's, there's folks that aren't exactly sure what to make of that, or maybe I've never experienced that before. Maybe I don't have a frame of reference. Maybe I do. Maybe I've heard about it a lot, but it's not something I've experienced. If you fall into one of those camps, I just kind of want to put it out there. I want to encourage you to, to pray about this, to be real with God about where you are and what you desire for your life. I encourage you to seek the Lord, and I encourage you to share with trusted, believing friends that this is part of your journey. It is not coincidental that Beth had this experience as many people have had when she was surrounded by people who loved her and wanted God's best for her. So I I submit that to you. I'm going to speak briefly a little bit in in a few moments about the issue of of speaking in tongues. But for now, I want to just kind of pick up where I left off in the sermon a couple of weeks ago. We've been talking about our need to be connected to one another in the body of Christ. Uh, I've said a couple of times in the last couple of sermons that I've preached that we need to be connected in meaningful relationships built on service. This is a timely message because for more than a year now, in many ways, I think many of us have felt like we have been unable to connect and we have been unable to serve, unable to connect unable to serve. And some of the rules and regulations regarding COVID are changing and it feels like the dynamic and the environment around us is, is, is moving faster than it ever has before. And there's a lot of emotion and opinion tied up with that. But here's the deal, whether we wear masks, whether we don't, whether we worship together in person or whether we you know, have to connect online from time to time, no matter what our circumstances, I believe it's time for the church to say, we just gotta connect and serve. We just got to connect and serve because it's what God desires for us. We spend a lot of time saying, well, we've been unable to do that. And I don't believe that's true. 
I don't believe that we have been unable. I think we've been unable to do it in the way we got comfortable doing it. But it's time for us to say, you know what? God is a God who is not surprised by what's happening right now. And if he says that his people were made or designed or created to connect and serve, if he said that's an essential part of what discipleship is, well, then we just got to figure out how we're going to do it now. If we're living in the new normal, if we're expecting things to go back to the old normal, wherever we might be on that continuum, it doesn't matter. What matters is that God has said my people will connect and serve. So the ideal that, the idea that, well, I can't, I can't, I'm in a place where I want to move past that now. I want to stop saying I can't. I want to start saying God said I can and God said I should. And so connect and serve is, is, is where we are. The Apostle Paul uses a metaphor when he talks about this. His metaphor, as we've identified several times recently, is the human body. Human body is one body, but it's made up of many different parts and all the parts are connected. And each part needs every other part. The function of each individual part is to serve the rest of the parts. Each part of your body serves the entire part, the entire body. No body part is there only for itself. Every part functions to serve the entire body. Your lungs, their job is to get oxygen and they're really good at it. When they get the oxygen, they don't keep all the oxygen for themselves though, do they? They supply the entire body with oxygen. They serve the entire body. They do their job in service to the entire body. Your feet are what allow you to get from here to there. They are your mode of transport. But when your feet go from here to there, I'm gonna demonstrate this, okay? Watch closely. When your feet, thank you very much, there will be a, an after show. Um, when your feet go from here to there, they bring the entire body with it, right? They don't say, we're over here, I don't know what y'all are waiting for, we got here. No, they serve the entire body, they bring the entire body with it. Your eyes see, and the information that they see is important to the rest of your body. Your eyes won't let your knees trip over the obstacle in the path as you're walking because they're there to serve your entire body. They don't say, well, to your knees, well, you should have seen that. I saw it, I don't know why you didn't see it. No, your eyes see, and then they pass along that information in service to the rest of your body. Every part is there to serve the entire body. And this metaphor of a human body works really well because it shows us how we were created to function. Each one of us, was created to, to play our part, a unique part for sure, but to play our part. We were designed to connect. We were created to serve, which is all well and good, as long as you're actually interested in that. You know what I mean? If you crave meaningful relationships and you wish to serve other people with your gifts, then I think those are really encouraging things to know. Okay, God made me that way, great. It's really encouraging to know that. But what about those times when we, we just don't wanna? What about those times when the idea of connecting and serving doesn't really seem all that appealing? That's where I wanna start today, and I wanna say this. It's one thing to be created for something. It's quite another to actually desire it. It's one thing to be created for something, 
but it's quite something else. You know what I'm saying? It's all well and good to know that I have the capabilities that this is how I was designed, fine. But it's a whole different topic when we start talking about, do you actually want to? Do you actually want to? Do you actually desire it? We see this in the lives sometimes of world-class athletes. Men and women who are so gifted by God with these natural abilities to do things athletically and physically that the other 99 point whatever percent of us could never dream of doing. Amazing giftedness. But desire, is the desire always there? Is the desire always there? I, I was kind of hoping that Dave Turnbull was going to be present today. I, I imagine he and Molly are watching online with their new baby at home. If that's true, Molly, I need you to hold your husband's hand right now because I'm about to make him cry. <laughs> Dave Turnbull's favorite football team is, is the Detroit Lions. Now, I'm a big Bears fan, as you know, and that's only because I have Jesus in my heart. <laughs> You guys have heard me give Michael Brommeyer grief. The Corneals boys here, grief. Johnny, grief. Because they are Packers fans. And we are praying for deliverance for them, right? But the only reason I give them that grief so much from the pulpit is because the Packers are actually kind of good, right? Dave Turnbull is a Lions fan, and the Detroit Lions are and always have been awful. <laughs> awful. For a generation, this has been one of the worst franchises in all of professional sports. A few years ago, they went through an entire season and didn't win a single game. They lost every game they, were, they played. 0-16, set a new record. Ladies and gentlemen, the Detroit Lions. And our Dave Turnbull is a fan. How does that happen? Here's where we make Dave cry. In the 1990s, the Detroit Lions, as bad as they were, even then, had the best running back in the National Football League. Barry Sanders played for the Detroit Lions. He came into the league in 1990. In the course of 10 seasons, a decade, he accumulated more yards from scrimmage than any running back has ever accumulated in 10 years. He was perennially a pro bowler, an all pro, just generally acknowledged as, as the greatest at that position at that time. Barry had the ability to change direction like no human being has ever had. He wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the strongest guy. He had a very unique style. If you're a football fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He would be running full speed and then somebody would go to tackle him and he just wasn't there. He was somewhere else. There are video clips, YouTube them. You find him with defenders that literally can't find him because he's behind them and they thought he was right in their grasp. Barry Sanders was incredible, incredible at his job. It was just 10 years in the league. He was already second all time on the list of most yards from scrimmage for a running back. I won't mention that he was second to a certain man by the name of Walter. <laughs> there was no question that Barry Sanders was gonna eclipse Walter Payton probably in about a year and a half and go on to become, by statistics, the greatest running back the National Football League has ever seen. And then unexpectedly, Barry notified the press, I'm retiring, 30 years old prime of his career, probably another five, six, 
really, really good years of football in front of him. Almost certainly going to be the greatest statistically to ever play the position. And he said, I'm just done. Barry, why are you done? Because I don't want to be a lion anymore. And could you blame him? <laughs> could you blame him? Barry had requested a trade. The Lions said, no, we're not going to trade you. We have you under contract for the next X number of years. And Barry said, I would rather not play than go on being a Lion. You guys are that bad. And they said, you can't do that. We've paid you money to play the next few years. We've paid you millions of dollars. And he said, take it. And he gave him the money back. He said, I just don't want to be a Lion. Dave, are you crying yet? Seven or eight years later, after Barry, the Lions had the best wide receiver in the league, Calvin Johnson, and he did the same thing. He retired in the prime of his career. You know why? Because he just didn't want to be a Lion anymore. They were that bad, that bad, didn't want to be on the team. When players decide they don't want to be on the team anymore, when they lack the desire to be a part of the team, they stop being a part of the team. And it just doesn't matter how talented they are. The day Barry Sanders retired, and the following season, when game one came along, he was still naturally the most gifted athlete on the planet. But it didn't matter because he wasn't wearing a uniform. He wasn't wearing a uniform. He didn't want it anymore. You can't be part of the team if you don't have that primal desire in your belly. And I think it works the same way in the metaphorical body of Christ. We've read this scripture several times, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verse 21, this is Paul writing to the Christians who live in the city of Corinth. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Our body parts cannot deny their need for each other. They cannot deny their desire to be connected. Now, in this scripture here, when it says they cannot, that word cannot doesn't mean they aren't allowed to. It's not like, well, you cannot go 50 miles per hour down Hobson Road as you leave church today, right? You shouldn't. You're not allowed to. The Woodridge police might have something to say about it, but you can. I mean, you're able to, right? Uh, you're able, Jessica Martinson, not you, but, but, but you're able to, you're able to, that's not what this word means, it's not saying you're not, it's not saying you shouldn't, it's saying you are not able to, it's saying the eye is unable to say to the hand, it's saying the eye literally lacks the ability to tell the other parts of the body, I don't belong to you, that's what it's saying. The members of the body of Christ lack the ability to say they don't need each other. We lack the ability because the desire to connect and serve is so much a part of who we are. Could we keep that verse up? I wanna keep pointing at it here. We lack the ability because the desire to connect and serve is just so much a part of who we are. We can tell ourselves, oh, I don't need them, but that dog just won't hunt. It's kind of like this. Have you ever gone to a party and you told yourself, when I get to the party, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to snack. I'm not going to load up on the snacks. I'm just going to have a nice, healthy dinner and visit with friends. And then you come in and you sit down on the sofa and somebody puts on the coffee table in front of you a big bowl of your favorite chips and onion dip. And it's just sitting there and it looks oh so good. But you told yourself, 
I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to get thee behind me, Satan. Right? You told yourself that, but you sit there, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I, I have the willpower. I can do this. Right? And then the host comes out and says, I'm sorry, folks. You know, the roast is just taking a little longer than I thought. Dinner's going to be delayed. And you are hungry. And those chips look good. And you tell yourself, that's fine. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to not pay attention. I'm going to visit with some friends. But you didn't really want to go to that party in the first place. You don't even really like your friends. And now their conversations are stupid. And those chips are just sitting right Have you been there? Or is it just me? <laughs> Folks, at some point, you're eating those chips. You know what I'm saying? At some point, you're eating those chips. And not just once, because once you pop them, you can't stop them. You know what I'm saying? You're going to eat some of those chips. You can say what you want, but there is a primal desire there, you're going to eat the chips. I believe the Bible shows us that there is a primal desire in the heart of every human being, a desire to connect and a desire to serve. And that desire is activated when we meet Jesus. That desire is activated when we meet Jesus and when we become a part of his body. That is the primal desire. The problem, are you ready for the problem? The problem is we often don't understand what it is that we desire. That's the problem. We know we want something. We just aren't quite sure what it is. I think I must have been hungry when I wrote my sermon this week because there's a lot of food and snacking analogies in here. Have you had that experience of being hungry in your own home and you get up and you go to the fridge or you go to the pantry to find yourself a little something, something? And you open the door and you go... <laughs> Dan, are you hungry? Yeah. Are you eating something? I don't know. What are you going to get? I'm not sure. I'm hungry for something. Just don't see anything that looks good. I don't know what it is I want. Or maybe you go to the restaurant and you get the menu. I love Stephen's restaurant over here, right? I'm there all the time. But their menu comes in 12 different volumes. You have to get it in payment plans. It's so big. There's 148 things just for breakfast on the menu, right? And so you take people to Stevens and they open the menu. You need a good 90 minutes to get through it and decide what you actually want to eat. Have you been there? Right? Stevens, if you're watching, love you. <laughs> okay, how about this one? How many of you have had this in your home? Honey, let's not cook tonight. Let's get some carry out. Sounds great. Okay, what do you want? I don't know. You want some pizza? I don't know. Should we get tacos? I don't know. How about sushi? I don't know. How about Chinese? I don't know. Right? I'm hungry. Aren't you hungry? I'm starving. Well, then what do you want? I don't know. Right? We know we desire something. We just don't know what we desire. Except for Carmen, for whom the answer is always tacos. Every day. Every day. Every day is Taco Tuesday. The Bible describes a spiritual phenomenon in our, in our lives. It's very much like that. And again, I'm going to go to the Apostle Paul here. This time it's not his letter to Corinth. It's his letter to Rome. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, we do not know, we just don't know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Okay, we don't know what we pray for. What, what do we pray for? What kinds of, we pray for the things that we desire, right? That's, 
That's what that whole praying for thing is. We pray for the things we desire. But Paul is saying sometimes we don't know what to pray for. In other words, sometimes we don't know what we desire. Sometimes we just don't know what we desire. Sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray for. It's not that we don't know how to pray. This isn't like, I wish I could pray, but I just don't know, the, you know how to pray. How does prayer work? That's not what's happening here. This isn't not knowing how to pray. This is just not knowing what to pray. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. And Paul is saying that when that happens, the Holy Spirit is more than willing to take over. He intercedes for us. He prays on our behalf. And oftentimes, Paul says, when that happens, he prays through us with what he describes here as wordless groans. Uh, Right? Wordless groans. What does this mean? Well, there's two things that Christians for centuries have been saying wordless groans means. And I think both of them are equally valid. And I think both of them are on Paul's mind as he writes this verse here. Holy Spirit intercedes through us with wordless groans. The first is very much what happened to Beth this week. This idea that sometimes the Holy Spirit will kind of just use us to pray with what to me is an unknown or unintelligible utterance. Uh, I don't know what those, those sounds mean, but the Holy Spirit is using me to pray. And the Holy Spirit says, I got this. Because I know what the Father's will is. I know the mind of Christ. So I can pray for exactly what is needed in this moment, in this circumstance, even if you don't know in your human finite mind what is needed in this moment and in this circumstance. A couple weeks ago, Garrett and I flew up to Minneapolis for a church planning conference. We had a great time there. We were really challenged, learned a lot. We get done, we get on the airplane to fly home. I'm tired, airplane takes off, get up to cruising altitude. You know what, recline that, that inch and a half that they let you recline, right? Garrett's got his earbuds in, he's not paying attention to me at all. There's nobody on my other side. I close my eyes and I'm just like, I just wanna relax. But I was grateful to God for what we'd experienced over the last couple of days. Just really, just really grateful and at peace in that moment. And so you know what I did? I said, hallelujah. Now there were people around. I didn't want to be like the crazy Bible freak. Going, hallelujah. Right? But, but there was, there was just a hallelujah. And so I said, Hallelujah. (laughs) And then I began to say some other things. And very spontaneous, I very spontaneously, I just began to pray. But I wasn't praying in English. I was praying in other I hadn't intended to pray in tongues in that moment. I hadn't expected to pray in tongues in that moment. But all of a sudden, I'm sitting on an airplane next to Garrett with his earbuds in, praying in tongues and kind of nervously looking around to see who else might notice. And it just happened for about maybe 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds, and then as soon as it had begun, it was over with. And I said, okay, Lord, I have no idea what that was about. But you know what I think it was about? 
You know what I think it was about? I think just in that moment, the Holy Spirit had something that he needed to talk to the Father about. There was a prayer desire that needed to be articulated. And because I was willing and available and my mouth was engaged and I was saying, hallelujah, the Holy Spirit said, oh, we, we can pray through Dan now. And so a request that I know not of, a desire that I know not of, was articulated in the throne room of heaven just in that moment. Where are those Where are those I didn't know what I should pray for, but the Holy Spirit knew. I believe that's part of what Paul's talking about. But I, I think also he might just be talking about wordless, right? Yearning, aching, groaning. Mark Hausfeld was here a week ago to talk about contemplative prayer, to talk about meditation, this silent, primal yearning from within. Could that be what Paul has in mind? Absolutely. That's going on here too. The point is, there's a primal desire within the people of God, and sometimes we don't recognize what it is or how it's expressed, but even in those moments, the Holy Spirit is articulating that desire through prayer. You may have been listening to the last few sermons that I've preached and thought, okay, fair enough. I hear what you're saying, Dan. You may have read the scriptures that I've presented and said, yeah, I think you got this right. I see what they're saying. This is good. I, you know, I get it but I don't feel it. This doesn't really seem to describe me, this whole like want to be connected thing. Like I see what you're saying, but I don't feel what you're feeling. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're kind of looking around at the kingdom of God. And with all due respect, you're just in no big hurry to make friends. Simply put, you don't feel like you want to connect and serve. If that's you, I, I understand. And I, I want you to hear me say this today. I feel the way, same way sometimes. I really do. I get it. But I think we all need to be reminded today that there's something going on in your spirit deeper than your own awareness. Something primal. You have a desire that you don't fully comprehend. But God does. And he's longing for it to be fulfilled in your life. So the Holy Spirit is groaning. But you know what? He's not the only one. He's not the only one groaning here. To better understand what's going on with this whole primal desire thing, we actually have to back up a couple of lines. I just read verse 26. I want to back up now to verse 23. Paul writes, We ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. This is him saying we groan. Now later on he'll say, and the Holy Spirit is groaning through us as well. We already talked about that. But he sets it up by saying first we groan. We have a primal desire and we are groaning within our own body. We, the people of God, the ones who have submitted our lives to his grace and his authority, we are waiting still for the completion of our adoption. We are waiting for the day that we can stand with him in his kingdom. That is what is yet to come. My family has some experience with adoption. Many of you know. Tony and Andy are my brothers. They're uh, about 10 years younger than I am. And, and they were adopted when they were just about two years old. I was 12. I went through 12 years of life. I call it the golden years. As an only child. <laughs> And then when I was 12, my parents adopted twin boys just before they were to turn two. 
When they were adopted, Tony and Andy got brand new parents. That's what they got. And it was my parents who had to go through the process to finalize the adoption. They had to hire the lawyers. They went through the legal process. They signed the documents. They had to be approved by the various agencies. They had to do all of the stuff. And when they were done doing all of the stuff, Tony and Andy got new parents because the parents did all the work, right? But Tony and Andy didn't just get new parents. They got more than just new parents. They, they got a new brother. They didn't have me as a brother before then. I didn't have to sign any work. I didn't have to go to court. I didn't have to do any of the things, but they got me anyhow. Part of the deal. They got a brand new brother. They got grandparents out of the deal. They got my Aunt Joanne and my Uncle Dane. They got cousins. They got relatives of all sorts. It was a package deal when they got adopted. They got all kinds of people, none of whom were the focus of the adoption transaction, but all of whom came in the deal. You know the other thing about adoption? Sometimes the adoption can happen and then later on other people get adopted or get added. Our worship leader, Jenna Raymond, is adopted. Mark and Stacy, you adopted a baby girl and she was wonderful. And she got new parents out of the deal. And then later on, you gave her Justin and Jordan, too. It was like, oh, I didn't know there were more coming. <laughs> but sometimes there's more on the way. Sometimes there's more on the way. Do you hear that today, people of God? Sometimes there's more on the way. That's the thing about adoption. It's not just about the child and parents. It's about the family. And it's about how that family might grow and proliferate. It's about the family. The Bible says there is a groaning in your soul that emanates from your primal desire to see the completion of your adoption. And yes, of course, that means you have a new covenant relationship with your heavenly father. But that's not all that you're groaning for. That's not all that your adoption gives you. The adoption that you're yearning for means you have a primal connection with a whole multitude of brothers and sisters. The company of the redeemed, the great heavenly multitude from every tribe and every tongue. All of that is awaiting you since the day you met Jesus. And you have been crying out for those relationships because when we received his spirit, we began yearning for a place in his family. When we received his spirit, we began yearning for a place in his family. It was a place to belong. It was a place to connect. It was a place to serve. In church, it's what you always desired. Or is it? Everything that I've said today, every verse that I've read to you, every passage of scripture that we have looked at together, has been directed toward people who already have a saving relationship with Jesus. People who have submitted to his authority and who have received the promise of eternal life in his kingdom. Because the Bible says that's the moment when the Holy Spirit first sets his seal upon us and begins that empowering work in our lives. And at times, the Bible says, that work becomes so powerful and so dynamic, it overwhelms us 
with a metaphorical baptism of divine empowerment. And among the many tasks that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing in the lives of those who have submitted to Jesus, oh, he's doing a lot, but among the many things he's doing in that empowerment process is he is awakening a primal desire to connect and to serve. But what about those who haven't met Jesus yet? What if you hear these words and you say, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying, right? Respect, right? But it doesn't resonate in my life because I'm not sure that I've really had that kind of relationship with Jesus. What if you're saying, Dan, the, the, the scriptures that you read are well and good, but they don't apply to me today. They don't apply me today. Well, if that's you, I want to close this way. I want to finish our time together by sharing these words with you. Today, you are surrounded by a whole host of adopted children who are just inviting you to come join the family just like they did. You are surrounded with a people who just want you to to do what they've done so that you can share in the experience that they've had. Hear us, listen to us as we tell you how we've been where you are. We know what it's like to not yet be a part of the family. We've been there. We know what it's like to hear these kinds of words and and not fully comprehend, like, it doesn't really totally make sense, does it? We know what that's like. We know what it's like to just kind of not really understand what all those Jesus freaks are so excited about, right? We know what that's like. We've been there. But we also know about all the unrequited longings in a life that's being lived apart from Jesus. We've been there. We know about the emptiness of being, you know, spiritual, but not terribly religious, kind of having a a self-guided morality with no real connection to anything of meaning or substance. We know, we've been there. And we know that we don't have it all figured out today either. We aren't coming from a place of, oh yeah, got it, nailed it. No, we're groaning. We're yearning. We have a primal desire in our bellies for the completion of that which has only just started. But the difference is, now we know when and how it's going to be fulfilled. We know where we're headed. We know where we're going in this life and in the next. And we know who our Father is. And we just cannot wait. We just cannot wait for the completion of our adoption. I want to do something that's maybe a little bit backwards here. Sometimes at the end of the sermon, the the pastor says, so if that's you today and you'd like to meet Jesus for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to do that today. 
I want to do a reverse altar call today. I want to say if, if you're part of the family and you would just like somebody else to know, I get it. I've been there. What I just described. If that's you, would you just put your hand up today to say, I, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. And folks, all of you, because you're going to do it anyhow, even though I tell you not to, look back and forth. Look at the hands all through the room. Today you are surrounded by a host of adopted children who are excited by the thought that you might get to join the family too. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I thank you that there is a primal desire in our bellies. I thank you, Lord, that you came that we might have relationship with a new father. But just like on earth, that was not a one-on-one deal. Lord, we were invited into a family that could only be described as a multitude. And so, Jesus, it's because of your saving work that the Spirit cries out from within us, Abba, Daddy, Father. We look at at God and and we say, that's my dad. And it's because of your work in us. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would help us to look to the left and to the right. And just as we've said, that's my dad. That we would look and say, and that's my brother. And that's my sister. And those are my cousins. And those are some folks I haven't even met yet, but they come to the family reunion every year. Because this is my family. This is my people. This is my tribe. We don't always agree about everything. We don't even always get along the way we should. That's kind of the way things go in family sometimes. But Lord, you gave us to each other that we might love one another, that we might connect with one another, that we might serve one another. Thank you for that today. Thank you for the miracle of adoption. And Father, today we, the fam, pray for those who have not yet met the Father. We know that it is your desire to adopt even more. And Lord, we say amen to the idea that you might still be desiring to add somebody else to the family. We say hallelujah to that. That excites us because it's part of that primal desire that you've given us. God, would you do exactly that work today? Holy Spirit, if there's somebody in this room that would say, well, yeah, that's me. I'm not so sure that I'm part of the family. Holy Spirit, we just want to step aside and give you the space to say, this is the day. This is the day. Church, would you say that with me right now? Just say it audibly. This is the day. This is the day that the family grows. This is the day that a new brother or sister joins. This is not the day where somebody figures it all out and goes, oh, okay, got it now. I'm good. That day is still coming. That's why we're all still growing. But this is the day. This is the day. When we say there's room for one more, there's room for one more, and there's room for another after that. 
and another after that, and another after that, and another after that. Lord, help us to be the kind of family that would welcome as even more adopted. Church, just before we say amen, I want to say this. When my brothers were adopted, we had the biggest party my family has ever had. There were almost 100 people in our house. One and a half bathrooms. <laughs> we ate a lot of potato chips that night. But it was a big party. If you're getting adopted today, would you tell one of your new brothers or sisters so they could just celebrate with you? It's no fun to hide it. <laughs> it's no fun to hide it. God, we want to celebrate what you're doing in the hearts of our people today. We submit this to you for your purposes and for the glory of your name and your kingdom. We love you, Dad. We love you, Dad. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Honestly, if you feel like the Lord's doing something in your life related to anything that I talked about, come talk with me. Come find somebody else who loves you and cares for you. Share with them. I encourage you to tell your story. God bless you. See you next Sunday.